church having been redeemed from Israel. So Exodus chapter 25 verses 1 to 9. Let me ask uh, if you're able, please stand as we read God's word together. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate breastpiece and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its and of all its furniture so you shall make it the grass withers the flowers fade but the word of the Lord stands forever will you pray with me uh, father in heaven we pray for your spirit uh, to be at work in our hearts and minds to hear Uh, to understand, to believe, and to be changed by this, your word. Through Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know how much time, I don't know, maybe you don't really think about this much. Maybe you just kind of go about your business and that's fine. Um, But there are times when, when, when if I let myself think about it long enough, um, I, I will I will look at God and kind of go, now, why exactly is this how you want to do this thing? Like, for evangelism, for example. I mean, he's the all-powerful God of heaven and earth. He could, with, with a, a word, a phrase, the, the wave of his hand, a thought, and, and poof, people could be converted just like that. Anybody, everybody, some people. I mean, let, let's leave the, the election, limited atonement. Let's leave those conversations aside, right? That's, that's not what I'm talking. I'm just, the whole point of evangelism. He could just simply say, you know what? You, boom, be converted. Okay, there they are. Like, and yet in his economy, in his plan, his mission is to take saved sinners to tell other sinners how to be saved. Or just think about the work of the church. I mean, we, we just made an announcement about um, um, MTW retreat for Europe area missionaries on the island of Crete. And they're, they're looking for volunteers and, and funds to help support sort of people to help serve the missionaries there, right? Like, why can't he just simply say, here, here's the money. I mean, literally, the psalmist, Psalm 50 tells us he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. One of your elders, actually, just in our session meeting just this past week, said, literally, I'm not worried about money. God owns all of it. That, that's the kind of elder you want to vote for, by the way. And, and, and I don't understand. Why can't he just make things? Like, why can't he just simply say, well, here, here, MTW, here's the money. I'll just produce it out of thin air or or I'll just make it suddenly appear or what. I don't know how he would do it. And yet the way he chooses to work is through the giving of his people. And that's exactly the context 
of Exodus 25. Moses, Moses is on Mount Sinai. Okay, this is, we're still, technically, we're still in the context of chapter 24, right? The, the elders, the leaders went up the mountain part of the way, and then, then Moses went the rest of the way. And then at the end of chapter 24, 40 days, 40 nights, he's in the cloud meeting with God. And the first thing God tells Moses is this in chapter 25. That's, the, that's where he starts. That's the first thing out of his mouth is, here's the plan, Moses. I'm going to involve my people and, and use the, the giving and the generosity of my people to advance the work of the church. God uses his redeemed people to participate in fulfilling his purposes on the earth. Now, let me, I think, I think we would do well to remind ourselves why he saved Israel to begin with. Like, what's the whole point? Perhaps you're thinking, well... To go to Canaan. I don't think that's actually the point. Well, to take them to the promised land. Also, not really the point. That, that's not what he says throughout the first 11, 12 chapters of Exodus. Over and over and over again, God says to Moses, look, here's what's going to happen. We're going to do these things. I'm going to do these things. And then you will know that I am the Lord. Sometimes he says, then they, meaning Egypt, they will know that I am the Lord. Just back up to chapter 6 for a second. Let me just show you real quick. In Exodus 6, verse 5, uh, we read, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel from the Egyptians, uh, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. That's Abraham. That's hundreds of years earlier. Okay. Um, that's a different sermon. That was, that was a different sermon. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery um, to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Notice the focus. That they would know God. Or that he would dwell with them in this new land. The aim of this redemption, the aim of this delivery, the aim of, of taking Israel out of Egypt is so that God might dwell with his people. So that they might be together. So that they would know him and he could dwell with them in their midst. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. Hey, Pharaoh, let us go so that we can go sacrifice to our God. Again, it's, it's an act of worship. There's this personal relationship, worship, dwelling together intent. This aim for God bringing his people out of Egypt. It seems that the aim of of that delivery is so that he might dwell with them, so that they might dwell with him. 
why does that matter now? Why bother with that in light of the first nine verses? Well, it's because of verse 8 in chapter 25. Notice that what they're going... And by the way, we're going to work backwards through these verses. We're literally going to start at 8 and 9 and go back to 1. Um, we'll pretend it's Hebrew and we're reading backwards. Um, verse 8, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Moses has gone up on the mountain. He's meeting with God. And the first thing God says is you're going to build a structure in which, by which I will get to do the very thing I delivered you from Egypt for. I'm going to dwell in your midst, in this tent. Here's the, here are the instructions for, for building the tent that I'm going to live in right in the midst of the camp. Which, by the way, Moses, is exactly why I brought you out of Egypt. Remember all those times when I said that you might know me and that I may dwell in the midst of my people? That's what this tent is for. The instructions that God gives to Moses in these verses is, is instructions on a tent. But it's not just a tent. It's God's home among the people. Within the people. Whenever Israel would travel, they would pack up the tent. They would take it with them. And when they stopped and set up camp again, always following God's lead, never making the decision on their own. When the, when the cloud moved, when the pillar of fire moved, they moved. And when it stopped, they stopped. And when they set up camp, the, the, the tabernacle, the tent was... Literally in the middle of the camp. Moses, hear the instructions for building the thing by which I will identify with you. In which I will dwell with my people. In other words, we, we find in this passage that, that God's people are going to build a structure at God's own instruction... And that structure is vital to their mission in the world. The knowledge of God and the worship of their God. This may come as a surprise. God's people aren't redeemed to form a soccer team. Even an English Premier League team. You know how I know? They're never told to build a soccer stadium. They're not redeemed to start a company, to start a business, or to, to work. How do I know? Well, they're never told to build a bank, or a law office, or even a hospital. Their mission in the world is to know God, to worship Him, and to make Him known. That's why they build a dwelling place for Him. That's why they build the tabernacle. That's why these instructions matter. But how are they going to know what to build? And you say, well, I mean, I, I, presumably God's going to tell them. And, and he will, by the way. 16 chapters we have. The next 16 chapters all dedicated, all devoted to the tabernacle. How to build it and then the building of it. Or how, how to build it and then how they built it. Uh, so the next 16 chapters. Um, you do the math on how many sermons that will end up being. But there's an interesting phrase in verse 9. Notice how verse 9 says exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle. You ever, you ever sew something or 
build something according to a pattern. The pattern isn't the thing, but the pattern shows you a thing. And, and what you're ultimately trying to do is sew this dress or build this structure according to the thing that I want it to look like. But all I have, I don't have the thing, I have the pattern. The word here indicates that there is a structure somewhere. That the, the pattern that God gives to them is a pattern that, that pictures an actual temple somewhere. There's a, it seems that there's a heavenly temple, uh, a heavenly tent, a, a spiritual temple, if you will. This is going to be a copy of that which is the reality. This is going to be patterned after, modeled after, copied after the real thing. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8. Let me just read for you a few verses from Hebrews chapter 8. My uh, intention is when we finish Exodus, uh, Hebrews is next. Hebrews 8 verse 1. But that's okay. We're a long way from chapter 8. Now, the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest. And this in the earlier the context is the high priest section. Um, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is, it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Do you see the picture? Jesus is the priest in the heavenly tent, the heavenly dwelling, the heavenly tabernacle. And the one built on earth is... Merely a model of that one. Now, I don't know how you make a physical structure that is modeled after a spiritual structure. Now, that's more than my brain can do. But the point is to say that, that this points us to the person and work of Christ. Just as this tent is going to be where God dwells with His people, so too Jesus was born... John 1, and dwelt among his people. The word dwelt is literally tabernacled. It's the same Greek word. This shows us that there is a a spiritual tent, a spiritual tabernacle, a spiritual temple, if you will, where Christ is the priest and he serves and ministers on our behalf. And this one is but a model of that one. But notice what the people are going to need uh, to build this tabernacle. You ever get one of those lists from your school, your kid's teacher? You know, here's the wish list, right? Here's the needs list. You know, whatever they can't buy or whatever the school won't let them buy, they'll send a list home to students. And, the, you know, they're like, hey, these are all the things we really need 
for uh, to make it through the year. Some of the crafts we'll be doing, and so if you could send some, you know, I don't know, paper towels and popsicle sticks and tongue depressors and um, uh, pipe cleaners, whatever, right? Or or the church that sends home the hey, we're going to do this craft, right? And so we need a bunch of glue and tongue depressors uh, to make this craft. Glue and tongue depressor. That, that's readily available. You can get a box of a bazillion from Amazon for like half a cent. That's not this list. This list starts with gold. I got a lot less of that than I do tongue depressors. Silver, bronze. It's, this list is not exactly the normal sort of everyday stuff. There's a lot of stuff in this list that is far more expensive, far more valuable, far more difficult to have than a thousand box of tongue depressors from Amazon. There's gold and silver and bronze, which are going to be everywhere in the temple. Everything that ends up made of this acacia wood, it seems, gets covered up with gold. And so you're kind of wondering, well, did it have to be acacia wood? Because, I mean, couldn't it just be like, I don't know, pine or something just doesn't matter? Something that's easily readily available? Well, acacia wood was more readily available for them than it is for us. It's easier to get. There's also blue and purple and scarlet yarns. This blue yarn comes from um, the dye is made from shellfish on the Mediterranean Sea. And, and they're easy to find, they're easy to get, but it could take a thousand of these shells to make just a dye a dress. So they're easy to find, but it's incredibly difficult to produce. It's expensive and, and timely to produce. There's items made of, of wood. They're going to get overlaid with gold for the most part, but there's posts for there's the box that is the ark. There's the table for the bread. There's the post for carrying the ark. There's the post for the tent itself. All of which are going to be covered up with gold anyway. Some of the things are, I mean, those aren't, those aren't, you can't just run down to your local Walmart and pick up all the gold you need for this or all the acacia wood you need for this or all the blue dye you need for the yarn. Some of the stuff is everywhere. Everybody had oil for land. If you wanted light in your house at night, you needed oil. Everybody had oil for lamps, for, for anointing, and, and to be used like that. So some of this stuff was, was easy to, to get a hold of. If you had goats, you had goat skins. You had all that sort of stuff. You could tan ram skins. You, you had those things. But that's not exactly your normal first grade classroom list of needs. But God's very specific. And here are all the things we're going to need for the people to give in order to build the thing according to the pattern that I'm going to tell you to build it. Now, maybe you're thinking, maybe you've paid attention. I highly doubt it. Now, maybe you've paid attention and you remember. I'm pretty sure just last week I reminded you that that though it takes us a lot longer to preach through these passages week by week the way we do. But but they're only like two to three months out from Egypt. They're only like probably eight to ten weeks 
since they left Egypt. And so at some level, you've got to be wondering where they get all this stuff. Like, how do they have gold? They were slaves in Egypt. They've left Egypt. And that's been all of eight weeks. How they got gold and goats and ramskins and this really difficult to produce, time-consuming, expensive yarn. How they got that stuff? Well, do you remember? Turn back to chapter 11. In chapter 11 and 12, we're told exactly how they have all of this. Chapter 11, verse 2. Speak now in the hearing of the people. Uh, This is God telling Moses what to do. Uh, That they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. Well, look at chapter 12, verse 35. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. The Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. They have plenty of and they went out. Verse 38, a mixed multitude went up from them, very much livestock, both flocks and herds. In other words, they left Egypt with all that they needed. And you're kind of thinking, how cool they plundered Egypt. Well, it appears that this might have been why. Or at least part of the reason why. Because the very things they took from the Egyptians, they're now going to turn around and give up for the building of the tabernacle. It seems that that the Israelites plundered Egypt so that they would have the things they need to give to God for the work of the church. And so here in chapter 25... Moses up on the mountain, the very first instructions he gets from God are. When you go back down, I want you to tell the people. To give up all the gold and the silver and the bronze and the fine linen and yarn that they took from the Egyptians. When you go back down, Moses, your instructions are tell the people Hey, look, I know you plundered a bunch of gold from the Egyptians, but here's the deal. Uh, You're going to give it to me. I I hope. I hope only for my own sake. I really don't hope this for your sake. I hope for my own sake that there is a, a tinge of, I don't know. Imagine being asked. All of these things that you just took from the Egyptians. I'm going to need you to give that up. I'm going to need you to give that away. I'm going to need you to bring that to me. Because notice there's somebody missing in this passage. There's no tax man. There's no IRS agent. There's no church officer going door to door, knocking on the door, taking a good look around, looking for gold and silver and wood and fine linen and yarn and things that you could give to the church. That guy's not here. 
In fact, the people were told, verse 2, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from you a contribution. For every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. God is asking his people to give, but he's asking them to give willingly and joyfully and eagerly. All for the purpose of advancing his mission on the earth and accomplishing the very thing for which they were delivered. God wants his people to give willingly, voluntarily, and joyfully. Why would they do that? Why would you give up all that gold and silver that you just plundered from the Egyptians? That's why we kept reading verses 1 and 2 of Exodus 20 as we worked our way through the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments don't say, here are the Ten Commandments. Now, if you'll do these things, then I'll take care of you. No, what they say is, I am the Lord you God who brought you out of slavery, out of bondage, who delivered you from the Egyptians. Now, here are the Ten Commandments. People that understood their deliverance, that understood their redemption, that understood their their new situation in life because of the sovereign work of God to bring them out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of out of bondage and to to set them free. They will naturally react with joyful giving worship. They recognize they're in a place that they could not create themselves. If they could, they wouldn't have waited 400 years to do it. They were slaves for four centuries in Egypt. They recognize that their condition is all of God's sovereign work. And the reality is, the reason His people give is because He gives. People, his people give out of gratitude for what he's done for them. We give because we more and more reflect his image. For God so loved the world that he gave. And, and, and as great as this list is in chapter 25, as expensive sounding as this list is, as particular and, and, and specific and valuable as this list is, you can have all my gold. You can't have my kid. Literally, God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You can't outgive God. You can't give enough to actually pay him back. You can't give enough to actually say thank you. And so the reality is, these redeemed sinners were glad, eager to give for the mission of God on the earth Because it was the least they could do. And what you find in chapter 36. Eventually Moses and and actually the the construction team. The foreman for the construction team had to go to Moses and say, Moses, listen. I'm going to need you to tell the people to stop. We got too much. We got more. We got all we need. Just tell. Yeah, but here I've got a whole box of stuff. I gathered it all. I don't care. Take it home. Leave. Go give it to somebody. I don't care what you do with it. Don't bring it here. We have plenty for the work that we are doing. 
God's people give joyfully and abundantly and willingly. And that's how God works. He owns it all. He could, with a thought, a word, just a quick wave of it, the easier for Him than it was for you to lose an hour of sleep last night. He could produce the wealth of the nations to do His work. He could convert whomever, however He wanted to. And yet His plan is to take us and to take the message of the Gospel with us. To use us to give for the work of the church. He uses His people who will give so that His mission, His work can be accomplished. The mission of the church is to gather more people who belong to Christ and to see them grow in their knowledge of their Redeemer, their love for their Redeemer. We don't have a tabernacle. This is not... This is not the equate. This is the building you're in now is does not equate to the tabernacle then. It's it's different. You give so that the work of grace covenant can go on. You give so that we can have heat when it's 25 degrees outside. So we can have lights. So we can have AC when it's 100 outside, which it felt like last week. Probably will be next week. But you give so that we can support the work of the church around the globe. So that we can see new converts both in Athens and around the world. But this building is not. It's not Old Testament tabernacle equals New Testament church building. Because John tells us that Jesus came and tabernacled among us. Dwelt among us. As his people. Does the Bible not tell us that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? He dwells in you now. Not just around or among you. He doesn't dwell in a structure in the midst of the camp. He dwells in his people. But did you notice our New Testament reading? Grab your bulletin. Because our New Testament reading from Revelation chapter 21, John gets this vision of the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth. First heaven, first earth, they're passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, uh, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice saying, behold, the literally tabernacle of God is with man. He shall tabernacle with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Is that not the same intent for which he delivered Israel out of Egypt? God saves his people so that we might be with him. So that we might know him and dwell with him and he might dwell with us. God's plan of dwelling with his people that we might know him is still accomplished today by the joyful, generous giving of his people. May it be that God would take all of our stuff and use it for his glory. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, in your economy, in your plan, in your purpose, uh, you have designed that we would give so that your mission in this world might advance. Uh, Father, we pray that we would so delight in the conversions of unbelievers, that we would so delight in dwelling with you and with one another in Christ, that our stuff, our love for our stuff would pale in comparison. Father, may we be people who invest not so much for the future, but we invest in the future. We invest in the world that is yet to come. When there is no more tabernacle, there is no more tent, there is no more temple, because you dwell with your people. Would you use us to advance that message in Athens, in Limestone County, and around the globe? For we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.